have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. It's amazing how far water will travel once it enters someplace on the roof. It, it, it's always surprised me. It's rare that you find a leak exactly where a hole may be or where there's a bad shingle, for example. So my, my guess is if you continue to fight this and you know your basement is dry, uh, that you've got a, a, a problem elsewhere. It's either from a plumbing line or it's coming from that roof. And since you know you have some roof problems, I'd venture to say when you re-roof that house, you're going to find the source and you're going to eliminate this. Do you have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt, along with Ken Patterson and Ken the Contractor. Uh, you can be part of our program each week by forwarding your questions to Ken to our website, KenTheContractor.com. You can always reach us at 800-614-2975. And also, remember that you can follow us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. You know, there's so many resources we have at our fingertips these days due to the Internet, and one of those that so many of us re- will rely on, and I encourage you to use this as a source, is Angie's List. And I've got some comments I'm going to make as sort of a follow-up to some things that was posted on Angie's List some time ago. Uh, really, it expands on it. Things that I want each of you to take to heart when it comes time to buy products or services for your home, but especially those items that involve services, meaning you have people coming to your house. And I don't care what age you are, whether you're 20 years old or whether you're 90 years old, these facts are important to you, not only in making a proper business decision, but also for your own health, safety, and well-being, and your financial well-being as well. So as I said, the, the the crux of this really comes from Angie's List. It was brought to my attention some time ago, and I said I think we need to expand on that to some extent. I talk about this from time to time for those of you buying homes or especially building or remodeling homes when it comes to shopping around. If you're buying an existing home and that's your market is existing, not building new, then you most of us will get in the car, we'll spend some time with a realtor, and we'll go from place to place to evaluate not only the product, the home that's available, but the location, the community that it's in, and the amenities, the proximity to schools and so forth. We don't often think about taking that kind of time when it comes to buying services where we're bringing people into our house. And this may involve services that are $500, $1,000. It could be services and products that become tens of thousands of dollars. And one of the things that I want you to do on a regular basis is get in the habit of sitting down and writing out what you are looking for in terms of services. If you're looking at replacement windows, if you're going to be replacing floor covering, if you are, you have a plumber coming in to replace, let's say, plumbing fixtures, your lavatory, your toilet, maybe some faucets in a bathroom, I want you to sit and write out all of these items that are in your mind because as you talk to multiple bidders, and I want you to do that as well, I want you taking at least three bids, but as you talk to multiple bidders, you will not recall everything in the same light. So sit down. Write it down, put it in your computer, handwrite it so it's legible. This becomes essentially your scope of work. Then I want you, as I said, to entertain at least three bids. You want to find these bidders, these companies, whether it's a plumber, an electrician, a floor covering company. 
by word of mouth. People who that will tell you, yeah, Fred has done a great job. I'd call him for all my plumbing needs. Or Sam's been a great electrician. But you can find several of those that have good references. You want to contact these folks. You want to be sure they're properly licensed as well, maybe through your building department or through the Chamber of Commerce. And you want to receive bids. won't take long. It will not take you any longer than the time it's taking me to describe this over the air to you to do what I'm explaining to you. So you've got a written list. Now you have three bidders. When you get those in, I want you to give them a time frame because if you don't, typically somebody will come back in three three days, somebody will come back in three weeks, and you're saying, I want to make a decision. I need to get on with this, and the other bidders will be calling you. But establish a time frame on that list that today is Tuesday. I'm meeting with people Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I want my pricing back by the following Friday of next week. Give them a reasonable period of time to assess your project, to look at materials, to look at their labor cost, and also for them to look at their schedule. This will be important in their pricing and for the bottom line that you pay. Once you have done that, you receive those bids, and then you properly review those bids, meaning you look at the details, read that fine print, trash removal is excluded, water provided by owner, electricity by owner. There may be instances where that means the power has to be off if you're changing out the electrical service, and that may mean that you've got to provide a generator so that there's electricity for them to work with. These are little things that can add big dollars. I want you to compare it and never be bashful about calling them back to ask specific questions so that you have this pared down. Next, I want you to ask in this process, talk about the payment procedures. Ask them what their policies are. Do they take checks? Do they take credit cards? Do they finance the work if it's large enough that you may need it financed or go to a local lender to acquire the money? Also find out, will they be invoicing you for the work once it's completed? What are the payment terms? Do I have 10 days? Do I have 30 days? Or are they expecting the money when the work is finished? These are all very important to you. And it also it keeps the contractor from having to pry a little bit into your personal finances, which was part of the comments posted on Angie's list. You certainly don't want to be revealing information about your bank accounts and about your financial wherewithal. But yet that contractor has a right to know if they perform the work, are they going to be paid in a timely manner? So by providing this information, you really prevent them from having to ask many questions about the financial side. And I think lastly, in follow-up, to the Angie's List comments and questions has to do with the, the the your particular situation. It would be inappropriate for me as a builder to say, you know, are, are you 60 years old, 30 years old? Do you live by yourself? Who will be home at the time? And that was part of the Angie's List comment is you really shouldn't be revealing that information. More importantly, I want you to tell people up front where you're comfortable. This you keep to yourself but say, look, when the service tech comes out, I'd like him or her to have an assistant with them if you're going to be by yourself. Or you also want to tell them in advance, you call me to confirm your appointment. I want to know if you're scheduled to be here at 11 o'clock on Monday that you're coming. And you make arrangements to have a friend or neighbor at the house with you if you're uncomfortable having someone, workforce, or an individual in the home with you by yourself. These are little things you can do without revealing information to those service providers and always, especially if they're not in an identified truck or car, meaning the signage, the license number, phone numbers are painted on the side, you want to see some type of personal ID that connects that individual to that company before you allow them in your home. Well, you know, and I would think one of the biggest issues that people struggle with whenever you're contracting with anybody to come in and provide a service, I'm always far more impressed with somebody who tells me they'll be there at 2 o'clock than somebody who tells me they'll be there sometime between noon and 6. 
You know, that's well, you an awful be. wide yeah. window. And you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs exactly. when you can be doing other things. But there are a lot of service providers that will only give you a ballpark. And I understand that. They're trying to fit as much business as possible in. Well, they but, don't always know how long that last service call right. will take them. They can guesstimate that. And I think that's fair to this extent. But, I mean, that they've got to allow to finish that last person first. However... With the communications we have today, with cell phones strapped to everybody, there's no reason that they can't give you a call at least 30 minutes before they come. They know when they're about through with the job or finished it up, and they've got 10 miles to drive to your location. They've got to pack up their tools. I'm going to be there in 25 or 30 minutes. Just be sure if you're scheduled for that day that you've arranged, if you need to, if you're uncomfortable, to have a neighbor, a relative, someone else come over and spend a little time with you so you're not in the house on your own. Coming up on this edition of Ken the Contractor, coming up a half hour from now in the news, we're going to be talking about fasteners. And also, one-on-one with Ken the Contractor, we'll talk about fire sprinklers for your home. That's all coming up on this edition of Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Every week at this time, Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, is right here to answer your questions. You can email your questions to Ken at KenTheContractor.com, or you can reach Ken at 1-800-614-2975. And we'd like to welcome those of you who may be listening to us for the first time on 1440 KMAJ, the big talker, 1440 KMAJ in Topeka, Kansas. And, Ken, we've got an email from somebody in the Topeka area. Oh, we do. This comes to us from Dale, and uh, he's got an issue that many of us cope with from time to time around our house. He says, I have a single-story ranch home. In the middle of the walkway or the hallway is the master bath. He said, when you walk by there, it just hits you. I mean, the odor just hits you. He said, I've checked for leaks and haven't found anything. He said, I've looked under the lavatory. I've checked the water closet. He's checked all the obvious places, thinking that is, is, this is his musty odor that he has said i thought it might be coming from the heating and cooling vent in the floor i've covered it up but that doesn't seem to change anything it also has a full basement under the house he mentions that and he said i thought it might be coming from the furnace ac cooling coils however i don't get the odor in other parts of the house is there any way for me to pinpoint where this is coming from any help would be appreciated Various odors, especially those that are foul odors in our homes, can be as difficult to find, Dale, as a roof leak. I mean, these are always challenging. One of the things that I have determined over the years is that sometimes an odor can be uh, detected from different places than you would suspect. Now, what I'm going to tell you is some places to check that you may not have. You have checked the obvious, thinking about water leaks, thinking of mold and mildew, because you have described this or vindicated that this is a musty or a mildew-type odor to me. Now, I do want you to go through and check not only your bathrooms. I want you to check the basement immediately under this area, and I want you to check, for example, your laundry area and see if you have any floor drains that have dried out because Typically, if a floor drain or any type of a uh, drain itself, the trap in the bottom, dries out, what will happen is we get a sewer gas odor that backs up, and it is typically limited to a particular area, and that odor is exaggerated when we turn exhaust fans on in the house because it will pull that odor, that air, back through the pipe. So I want you to check all of those locations and see if the odor appears to be strongest at any of those. And you're saying, well, this is not a sewer gas odor. Oddly enough, when sewer gas backs up through some vents, depending on how remote it is, how far the distance is from the sewer main, it can smell like a musty or moldy or mildew area. I have detected that in the past and found that to be the problem. So 
do check that first. That's an obvious thing. Secondly, pay close attention in that bathroom to areas under either ceramic tile, floor tile, or the sheet vinyl, whatever you have on that floor, and be sure that water from the tub, from the shower, has not backed up underneath that. I've also seen that mold. I've seen the mold develop, and it will create this musty odor that comes from that area because the water is entrapped and it cannot escape. And that provides just fuel for mold from mildew. Another area that we have potential issues is around the water closet. You say you have checked that or the, the commode area. If there's a defect in the wax seal or the flange below that, water can escape through that but not show up on the floor around the outside of the bowl. So that is another area for you to look at. Those are some obvious spots, and these are places that I've experienced issues with in my construction career. So I'd encourage you to take a look at those and see if that doesn't lead you in the right direction. I tend to agree with you on the heating and cooling system. Normally when we have a problem in the coils or the condensate drain, that air is blown throughout the entire home, and you smell that everywhere. But as a last resort, I'd check the condensate line just to be sure there's not an issue immediately there that could be detected. If this smells like something has died We've had critters crawl into ductwork around supply and return air grills. They're not in the main, but only at a limited location. But you're describing more of a, a musty mold and mildew odor, so it's probably not some type of rodent that has gotten in there. But again, you may want to check that as well. Just gives you some places to take a look at. If you have further questions, give us a call or send me another email on kenthecontractor.com. Uh, Dale, we do appreciate that, and thanks for listening to our program. Uh, let's go to the phones right now at 800-614-2975. And it's Crystal. Got a question about a garage door. Hi, Crystal. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Uh, I have a two-car garage, and I was just wondering how uh, expensive it would be or would it be too much trouble to change the two doors to a one door? Well, Crystal, you're dealing with structural elements when it comes to that type change in most cases. You currently have two doors, and that tells me that you have some type of a structural support, a column, a block area between those doors that's supporting the header above that. Now, the header is the horizontal member that frames the top of your garage doors, and it allows the balance of the wall above that or your roof or a second floor, whatever you may have, to bear on that. So it's transferring that load. And in rare cases, and it would be rare in my book, a builder might put in a continuous beam that would span from the far side of one door to the far side of the other that's designed to carry that load. But it is rare because it involves a good deal more money. And this is where you're going to run into the expense. You're dealing with structural elements here. It would be far less costly if you were going to go the other way around, but you're not. In this case, you're going from two to one. So what I suggest you do before I completely pop your bubble is contact a, at least a builder or two in your area or maybe a local architect, someone that could properly view this, inspect it, and determine what you have and make a recommendation based on what they're seeing visually as far as your structure goes. At any rate, in most cases, it will cost several thousand dollars to make that change. Not only will you be changing the garage doors, and if you have operators on them, electric operators, those will change. The header will change, and probably even the two sides of each of the uh, of the opening will have to be beefed up to transfer that load. In extreme conditions, it could involve modifying the foundations. So that becomes extremely uh, pricey and would not recommend that you go that route. But it is worth, if you really want to do this, I think it's at least worth spending a few dollars with an architect or a local contractor to come make that visual inspection. Okay. 
Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thank you, Crystal. We do appreciate your call. And, you know, she brings up garage doors and garages. Is it just by imagination or... Uh, do we tend to see people starting to try to build a few more or add garages on for that desire for extra storage space after they kind of went out of vogue a little bit? Yeah, I don't know that it's all about the storage, but I, I do believe we see garages becoming popular again. It's like anything else in residential design. It comes, it goes, carports, garages, uh, attached, detached. But I think that's something that in many parts of the country it's really expected today. If you're buying a house above at least a starter level and even starter level home, you will tend to see the one-car garage. In most places, if you don't see a two-car garage, people are just going to pass and move on to something else when it comes to house shopping. Now, the other reason that I thought we, we didn't see as many, included particularly in housing developments, is they're, cr- they're trying to cram more house into smaller lots, and that's because in, in many places, particularly before the, the subprime situation, the price of land for a lot of places were skyrocketing. Well, garages will take up from anywhere from about 200 to 500 square feet, single car, two car, depending on how they're positioned. And as those lots become smaller, we see this in with zoning changes. We're trying to squeeze more in, as you say. We're seeing a lot of these be positioned around the backside, which we saw back in the 50s, the few homes that had garages then, because lots tend to be a little deeper than they are wide when they look at the road frontage. So I think, again, in some parts of the country you'll see that as a trend, but I don't think we're going to see garages going away any time in the near future. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? You can always reach us. You can reach Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can email Ken. You can forward your email questions to our website, KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Every week at this time, Ken Patterson is right here taking your calls, questions, and comments. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, and he's answering the questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. Along with Ken, I'm Jim Britton. Time now on this edition of Ken the Contractor for one-on-one with Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better, provide options, and, of course, Save money. Joining us next is Rich McNally. Now, Rich is the East Coast Senior Sales Manager for Watts Water Technology. Rich, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ken. Now, something that has taken place in recent years in the industry that in some locations is controversial, in others it is now code, in places it's still being debated, and some of you may not have heard of it all, that has to do with fire sprinkler systems and single-family homes. And if it's not in your building code, chances are pretty good this is up and coming. It's at least being debated. And I know that you have also taken the lead with home sprinkler systems. Talk to us a little bit about the systems in general and maybe dispel some of the fears that people have about them. Yeah, there's a huge amount of mythology. At the homeowner level, I think most people think that if one sprinkler head goes off to douse a flame, say, in your kitchen, it would set them all off. And well, the TV has has exactly, made us yeah. believe that in the theaters when you yeah. see movies, because sure. that's not the way they function. Hollywood's not making it easy for us. Uh, and another thing is... Uh, because there is an added expense, builders are concerned that if it's mandated, it's going to incur an expense for them that they don't need to compete with used homes. Well, and that's something I think the industry will gradually work through once we see the insurance regulatory folks come to the table in 
every area and say, if you have a home sprinkler system, not unlike your office or industrial building, right. you're going to see an insurance savings. So gradually there is a payback. Sure. The home insurance industry is not there yet. They are in some areas. But, but nationwide, nationwide, not like no, they are at no. the commercial and industrial level. We have found, though, that people that install them or have them installed, contacting their insurance companies can negotiate a little better deal. So that's clearly something they need to take the lead on. If, if they're on the cutting edge, even if it's not code required in their area to install a whole house sprinkler system, not unlike a security alarm system, contact your insurance agent and ask, is there a discount? Right. And, and ISO and others get involved in rating these areas and offering these discounts or working with the insurance company. Sure. So it may not be simple initially, but as we move along, I'm satisfied we're going to see this industry-wide across the country. Yeah, and we're seeing it in areas like California. Maine, for instance, is really leading the way there. You know, and another misunderstanding is that it's expensive. It's substantially less money than your granite countertops. On average, is there a square foot price consumers might think about if they're putting up an 1,800-square-foot home, 3,000-square-foot home? Yeah, you could look at a rough number, about $1.60 a square foot. All right, so if you would assume that you're $2 or less, you've got a whole house sprinkler system installed. And let's talk a little more about it in detail. I know this has been a fear when this first hit the market some years ago that builders had because... Typically, fire sprinkler systems require a separate tap into the water main, a separate meter. There's separate t impact fees and connection fees. That's sure. not tr true with the whole house sprinkler system, is it? No, not necessarily. So how does it function in most cases? Well, the way we're going to market is with a system that combines the sprinkler system with your plumbing system. So that means it's coming off the domestic water line. Correct. So our sprinkler system feeds from the main, loops around the house feeding the sprinkler heads, heads obviously, and then from that same loop we feed all the cold supplies to the points of use like sinks and dishwashers and so on. So it really just becomes an extension of your cold water system. It's a cold water circulating system, so there's never any stagnant water. Exactly. It, you're just you're adding some lineal footage of pipe and you're putting heads occasionally uh, sure. per room based on the area so that you have fire protection coverage. Sure. Now, licensure is required to do it. Uh, a design, a NYSET three, level 3 designer needs to design it for you, for the plumber. So there are going to be some degree of hydraulic calculations involved, Absolutely. so the head and the piping is sized based on distance from the main, size of the room, one, two, three heads, whatever sure. that may water be. Water pressure available. You're right. So these systems can function not only on domestic water, but also on well water for those that, that may have a, a more limited supply of water, and let's say they're working on 30 pounds of pressure. Sure. Now, if you're working from a well, you're probably going to need a tank and a pump. So that's an additional expense, but for the benefits... Not a, not a huge expense. But you could be investing $500,000 for a, a pump and a, a tank and right. find that payback in perhaps a few years on your insurance savings. Well, not only that, I'd find the payback the first night I slept in the house. Yeah, that should be the, yeah. the peace of mind. That's exactly what we're selling is peace of mind, yeah. All right, now, one other issue I have to ask you to deal with on the sprinklers for the, the benefit of our listeners deals sure. with the heads, the head location, and... I've had people say, yeah, but I've got young children, you know, they're bouncing balls around in the house, they're rather rambunctious, they're tossing things in the air. All children do that at some point. Am I likely to have a problem with the head, with it, with it being damaged, and now all of a sudden I've got a flooded room with no fire? You know, the national statistics tell us that it's 1 in 16 million that that might happen. But 
in most cases, people don't like the look of a typical pendant hanging from a ceiling, so we're selling them uh, an enclosed pendant. I knew that's so where you hidden. were going to go. That's why I had to ask there the question, because these can be concealed or semi-concealed. Yes, they are. They're, they're concealed with a little fusible plate, and when the temperature near that plate reaches a certain level, off comes the plate, out comes the pendant, and we uh, douse the fire. works on the same principle as the concealed heads that most of you have never seen but are there in our sure. commercial, industrial facilities and assembly buildings. Sure, if you're in a hotel room and you see a little white disc on the ceiling, that's your sprinkler head. For the individual homeowner, this is clearly is not a do-it-yourselfer. This it's is something not. you want to have a licensed, and most places will require a licensed plumbing professional to install, and it goes in conjunction with the water system. It's going to be permitted. They're going to inspect the system. There's got to be some pressure tests involved in it. There you go. Uh, the standard routine. But in terms of finding people today that are trained at installing this and hold a license to do so, your plumbers, is this an issue because it's fairly new in the industry? Are you finding people attending the training seminars and really coming up to speed pretty rapidly? You know, I did some training seminars in Maine a few weeks ago. We did 10 seminars within one week, well over 100 contractors. Now, in that state and in states that adopt it, the, the law, licensure is required. And so you certainly wouldn't want to hire anybody that isn't a licensed plumber and a licensed fire installer. So, it's so you have to do a little digging, but you want to be sure yeah. they're licensed, you want to be sure they're qualified in your locality and they're meeting all of the codes. Rich, I appreciate you joining us on the show Thank today. Thank Appreciate being here. Good to have you with us. Take care. That's this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. And, you know, Ken, uh, I think it's very interesting, and we've talked about this on a couple local shows we have done, that there seemed to be a tremendous impetus behind sprinkler systems for single residents, single-family homes, but it appears that that's kind of died down a little bit. Well, I don't know this died down so much in many communities. The big push will be won by uh, your, your local fire and rescue personnel for good reason. I mean, their mission every day is to protect uh, life and property that's out there. Primarily, they're concerned about our own personal safety. That's what they do every day, and certainly we appreciate that greatly. So they have a big push in many of the General Assemblies and state legislatures to see this act. It hasn't calmed down. It's just where building codes have been adopted. They've gone through that cycle, and this occurs every three years. This will come back up as the International Building Code is reviewed again by many states over the next several years, and we're going to see this increasing more and more there, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. The opposition that many in the building community have, including the National Association of Home Builders, is if it's a code, then it becomes a, a mandate creating a higher cost for homes out there when they're trying to make homes affordable. So many in the building industry would say it should be an option with an engineered design and criteria put in place, much like a deck is an option. You don't have to install a deck, but if you do, there's engineering requirements. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. He's here every week answering the questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. You can reach him with an email at kenthecontractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. You have a question about your home inside or out, and you can reach us through Ken's website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Or you can call your questions to Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Time now for this week's segment of In the News, where Ken brings you products, trends, tips, and services that are important for you to make informed decisions about your home, maintenance, purchases, remodeling, and new construction. Starborn Industries is a name that probably not very many of you are familiar with. That's because they produce fasteners, and you say, fasteners, what's that? Well, this week in the news, we're going to talk about something that affects anybody that's got a deck, 
uh, some type of a raised platform, regardless of what decking materials that you may be working with. Starborn Industries is a producer of all those different fasteners that make things we buy stay together. I'm going to tell you a little bit about a new website that will help you in your planning and also in determining what's right for you. Starborn's been around since 1961. They are now an international company producing such products as stainless steel screws called Head Coat for deck, colored heads. They have specialty bits for those of you that are fighting some of those strange places that you're trying to get fasteners into, countersink tools, and also smart bit and pro plug tool systems for wood decking. So whether you're dealing with a plastic, a vinyl, a composite, a wood, aluminum, it really doesn't matter what your decking material is, Starborn Industries has a fastener for you. They've developed specifically for our needs a website that will help us not only look at the different materials that are available, but find the correct fastener. Go to my website, kenthecontractor.com, click on the link to Starborn Industries, and what you're going to find is a deck fastener information center. It's going to allow you to put in your type decking, the manufacturer, the color, what you're securing it to, and it's not only going to tell you the type fastener you need, the color fastener you need, it's going to tell you how many fasteners you need to install all of that decking material. So it does a great deal by giving just a few simple answers so go to the website, kenthecontractor.com, find that link for Starborn Industries. I really love what I consider to be those truly useful websites where you can basically do your project in a virtual format, and then you take the information and go out and get what you need. Yeah, and we've introduced several of those over this, uh, the show. This is the first one, though, that deals solely with fasters. And that is an issue that many bring to us through our website as well as on the air is, how do I secure this siding? How do I secure this decking board? What do I put these framing members together with? And many of us just don't think a lot about that. We'll go buy the 2x4s, 2x12s, the composite decking material, and the last thing on our mind happens to be, now how do I make it stick? How do I put it together? If we use the wrong fastener, I promise you we're going to have problems with whatever that product is as a later date. It's got to penetrate the structure far enough. It has to be the right size head so that it does not cause deterioration, delamination, and rot on the product that we're using. Even synthetic materials will have problems if we use the wrong fastener. So it's very important to use the right fastener with that product to make it perform at its best. And again, if you want to go to that uh, website, it's star, S-T-A-R-N, born, B-O-R-N-E, one word, starbornindustries.com. We get a lot of questions about roofs and also roof leaks, and Romano has one of those questions. Yeah, unfortunately, Romano says there is a leak in our metal roof. We've looked and looked for the source, and we cannot find it. How do you find these things? Well, Romano, I will tell you that a roof leak is a builder and a roof contractor's biggest nightmare. You hate to have these problems because typically the roof leak shows up many feet from where it's actually entering the house. This metal roof, you're not telling me a lot of detail about it. don't know if it's a 100-year-old house where the roof's installed on horizontal slats that may be 12 to 24 inches on center or whether it's a standing seam roof with plywood behind it. But what I am going to tell you to do would work in either case. Some cases, if it's a very old roof and you can get in the attic, I've been up in enough of them that I'll tell you, you can see sunlight coming through on a bright, sunny day. That's usually a pretty good indication where your leak is. 
But assuming that you have a plywood material or some type of substrate behind this roof, the best way I have found to find a roof leak is obviously you know what section of the house that it's in is to get up on that roof, or if you can't yourself, have someone that is qualified to get on the roof with a water hose. They need to be properly tied off in a safety harness. But start low, not high. You want to start with a low area, so but it has to be at least above where the water is showing up on the house. So if it's showing up 10 feet inside the house, there's no reason to start at the eave. It's not going to work its way uphill. But start at the point where the water is showing up in the house. Cover an area that may be 5 to 7 feet to the either side of where the water is occurring in that home. And then keep moving upslope until you finally have water coming in the house. At that point, you get down to just a tight examination. If this roof's put up with surface fasteners, you may find it's a rubber washer that has cracked and come off. It may be a screw or a nail that has backed out. If it's a standing seam roof, there could be a small crack where the crimp was made on that standing seam roof. And if it's a very old roof, it could be an area that has just rusted through, even though it may have been painted year after year after year. But the water hose trick works very well for me. I've found more roof leaks on existing structures than I, I care to sit here and remember. And I think for many professionals out there, they find it just works quite well. It does take two people. You need somebody downstairs as well as up top. But well, we tell you that Ken is here to answer your questions about your home inside or out. We just did an outside question. Millie's got one an inside question. Deals with acoustics. And we don't get too many questions on acoustics, but she says we live in a townhome with lousy acoustics. What can we do about the noise coming from the adjoining units without spending a fortune? Well, you may invite your neighbors to leave or turn their stereo or their TV down or at least invite you to the party. Millie, you know, that's a start. But if that doesn't work for you and you're really looking for an answer, and I want to tell you several products that are available without you having to tear your walls down that will help. These are essentially sound absorption materials. I'm sitting in a studio that has surface applied sound absorption materials. So there are so many things that are available out there from foam, egg crate material, and what we're referring to here in the studio is just called a studio foam. But there are acoustic art panels that you can purchase that will absorb sound, and that's coming from the opposite side of the wall, too. That's not just from your side. There are perforated wood acoustic panels that are out there. One of the most common items that are used today, and some people will call it a wall carpet that's used for acoustical purposes, it eliminates or it helps reduce or prevent the transmission of that sound coming from your neighbor's apartment because what it's doing is hitting the drywall and to depending on how your common wall is constructed. If both walls are attached to the same stud, it's just transferring that sound right through the studs, coming through the drywall on the other side. It's coming out almost like a speaker on your side. So by applying a wall carpet or a heavy, there are also very heavy or corded wall fabrics that look like wall covering, what this is going to do is, as a, as a soft product, is stop that sound. Now, it may not stop it totally, depending on the decibel rating that you're dealing with, but it's certainly going to reduce that. So these are some things for you to consider. The fabric wrap that I talked about, the wall carpeting, the acoustical fiberglass panels. There are also acoustic hanging baffles that you can place in a room, but that still allows the sound to come into the room. It may deaden it to the point that it absorbs it, and it doesn't tend to go to the other portion of the house. And if you're thinking about repairing or replacing, I should say, floor covering, if you have hardwood or a sheet vinyl on that, think about a carpet because that's also going to tend to absorb some of the sound from the neighbors. But I'd have a conversation with them. You know, I don't want to sound like the crotchety old man, but a lot of people say that one of the reasons why you hear more noise, particularly in these facilities that are adjoining us, 
the walls are just thinner than they ever were before. Is that the case? And it's not that they're thinner, but it's the materials will allow sound to transmit better. We've got to take a quick break, and then we'll come right back with more. You're listening to Can the Contractor.